I'm especially pleased to be here with so many people whose intelligence, courage, and persistence I admire. Um, I'd like to speak briefly on the reasons why I continue to believe that BDS is a just and necessary strategy for achieving justice in Palestine. And in doing so, I would like to offer some remarks on how anti-Semitism and the charge of anti-Semitism, which are different, um, uh, how they are different and how they are in fact played off against one another in arguments that seek to defend Zionism against criticism. In effect, I seek to clarify the importance of boycotts, divestments, and sanctions as constitutionally protected forms of political expression, indeed protected by human rights law as well, um, at the same time that I will try to lay out why I reject one view that currently bolsters legislative efforts to criminalize BDS, namely that BDS constitutes anti-Semitism. My argument draws on those um, of others um, uh, who have made this before, namely that the charge of anti-Semitism now seems to be directed mainly or exclusively against those who are critical of the state of Israel, and that it has increasingly lost its meaning within public discourse as a way of objecting to a form of racism, which includes the circulation of stereotypes, racialized figures and gross caricatures, conspiracy theories, blood libel, and monolithic claims about Jews in general. The situation is in fact worse than this since it now seems that for the Israeli state and some of its ardent defenders such as the Zionist Organization of America, obviously even emphatically anti-Semitic expressions and actions are acceptable on the part of public figures who explicitly support Zionism. So the phenomenon of the anti-Semitic Zionist reemerges within contemporary life. Let us remember that within German fascist ideology, there was widespread support for Zionism because it would remove the Jews from Europe and cleanse European identity of some of its Semitic elements. So let us not be altogether surprised that the anti-Semitic Zionist has become acceptable in some circles. Um, on what are such um, arguments based? Well, Zionism is taken to be equivalent to support for the Jewish people tout cœur, or what some call pro-Semitism. In recent months, new legislation has emerged in several locations across the world seeking to censor and criminalize support for BDS on the grounds that such actions are regarded as anti-Semitic or that they represent um, uh, not protected political viewpoints, but forms of discrimination that should be, in fact, protected against by law. As a result, any attempt to ban or criminalize those who call for boycotts seek to um, censor political viewpoints and will be contested within court systems that recognize that support for BDS is a legitimate form of political expression, whether or not one agrees with its content. In other words, you don't have to be in favor of BDS to accept that BDS is legitimate political expression. Um, the, we note that every effort in the United States um, to introduce legislation that would ban or criminalize support for BDS has failed because the restriction of political speech is deemed unconstitutional. Similar protections exist in human rights doctrines upheld throughout the world. 
As you know, the explicit aim of BDS is to put political and economic pressure on the state of Israel to comply with international law, to dissolve its occupation, to establish basic rights of political self-determination for the Palestinian people living under a continuing colonial occupation, including siege, the cessation of practices of land seizure and dispossession, rights of return, Um, including reparation, and the rectification of the damaged rights of Palestinians living within the contemporary Israeli borders or expelled from Palestine itself. The aims of the movement are misconstrued by those who argue that what truly motivates BDS is anti-Semitism. That argument is based on faulty logic and a failure to consult the empirical reality of the movement. First and foremost, support for BDS is support for a social justice movement. The principles principles of social justice to which BDS subscribes includes an opposition to all forms of racism, including anti-Semitism. It is not acceptable to admit anti-Semitism into the BDS movement, and when and where it exists, it must be unequivocally opposed. Indeed, it is worth repeating. Since its inception, the BDS movement has opposed anti-Semitism, as it has opposed every form of racism, including state racism. One can and must be consistently, one one can and must be um, uh, consistent, therefore, to be in favor of Palestinian self-determination and unequivocally opposed to all forms of racism, including anti-Semitism. Indeed, PDS seeks to free the Palestinian people from racist structures of colonial domination. It opposes colonial rule, not the Jewish people. Colonial rule would be no more bearable if it were Christians imposing it or some other religion or nationality. Colonial rule breaks the humans that it subjugates. That is true no matter who is doing it to whom. There is nothing about the call for the enfranchisement of the Palestinian people that implies anti-Semitism. The value of emancipation is one that the Jewish religion shares with other religions and frameworks of belief. When emancipation is embraced as a principle worth realizing, it is not just for one group of people at the expense of another. That is a contradiction that proves that emancipation is not yet fully realized. Indeed, that narrow idea of emancipation constitutes a failure to embrace social and political emancipation that holds or ought to hold for all people. And yet, we hear time and again that BDS is directed against the Jewish people when it is directed against the state of Israel. That claim rests on the fallacy, claim rests on the fallacy that the state of Israel represents the Jewish people or that the two are the same. Um, What is the problem with this formulation? Well, the Jewish people are globally complex. Many of them have no relation to the state of Israel. They don't live there and don't intend to. Some of them, some of us, maintain strong criticisms of the state of Israel. And those can range from specific policies in the West Bank or Gaza to a full critique of Zionism. The state of Israel claims to represent the Jewish people and derives political advantage from making that claim. But the fact that the claim is made does not make it true. Um, By the way, this is one reason why we have to support funding for education so that people can learn to read and judge. (laughs) Read 
and judge the logic and the evidence made in support of the claims that are made. The first argument um, we have to make is that the state of Israel, like all states, should represent all of the people living there, regardless of religion, and that it's a mistake to claim that the state of Israel represents only its demographic majority. Indeed, it is always unjust for a state to represent only its demographic majority. And though the state of Israel has international support, Uh, on the part of a great number of organized Jewish communities throughout the world, it also has a growing number of Jewish critics. Further, there are a growing number of Jews in the diaspora who have little relation to the state and do not accept the claim that they are represented by it. So let's insist both on the failure of representative politics within the state of Israel, as well as the state's claim to represent the Jewish people when the global Jewish population in its complexity is not represented by that claim. Once both of these claims to representative democracy are exposed as untrue, it's no longer possible to say with ease that the state of Israel rightly represents the Jewish people or that it constitutes a representative democracy, representing and empowering equally all those who live within what it claims to be its borders or who are subjected to colonial subjugation or who have suffered coercive expulsion. Both ways of asserting its status as representative turn out to be false. It represents neither those inhabitants who should have full rights of citizenship on that land, nor the Jewish diaspora. In fact, within the current borders of the state of Israel reside a diversity of people who are most emphatically not represented by the state as strongly or consistently as those who are Jewish, especially Ashkenazi, and who constitute the mandated demographic majority. So even within the state, there's no legal or substantive equality among its inhabitants. And the state itself, by mandating that one group always exists as the demographic majority, is committed to the secondary and damaged rights of its minority. The discrimination against Palestinians within the state is structurally linked with the dispossession of Palestinians from their homes, not only as an event in 1948, but as a continuing process enabled by a complex legal machinery that maintains the legitimacy of dispossession and expulsion to this day. Indeed, the movement that asks us to honor boycotts, to pursue divestment strategies, and rally for sanctions against this state is based on an opposition to both state racism and extended colonial rule. The motivation for entering into a movement that calls for the end to discriminatory practices, the end to occupation, and makes a demand that those dispossessed be be granted rights of return or reparation emerges not from hatred of of the Jewish people, but from a principled opposition to manifest injustice. Here again, a point worth repeating. If we wonder why people who are colonized have so much anger and conclude, and then we conclude that it must be because they hate the religion or ethnicity of the colonizer, then we miss the fact that the subjugated rise up precisely because they seek an end to their oppression. Indeed, the attribution of anti-Semitic motivation to those engaged in such a struggle deflects from the justice claims that are made in the name of this movement. Indeed, the logic seems to be, if you are not anti-Semitic, you will accept colonial rule. But if you object to colonial rule, you confess your (laughs) anti-Semitism. This is a brutal and false logic that we must refuse. 
So let us ask, why would any of us, quite regardless of our background, seek to join a struggle to end the occupation of Palestine, the end to second-class citizenship and forced exile, the end to a life of damaged rights, obstructive and humiliating checkpoints, forms of indefinite detention that defy international law, targeted bombings of civilian populations, the demolition of homes and trees belonging to families and communities for generations, extrajudicial killings, the stealing of land that has taken place and still takes place over decades, the criminalization of political dissent, the adamant public lies, and the racist rationalizations and laws, the anti-Arab racism directly differ, dif, directed differently against Palestinians and Jews of Arab descent, <coughs> the Islamophobia, the political claims to white supremacy, and the smug continuation of settler colonial rule dedicated to militarization and carceral administrative, administrative violence that postures as a democracy. We do this. Why do we join such a struggle? Well, we do this, I believe, as a result of a commitment to social and political justice. We join this struggle, if we do, because we want to assert solidarity with Palestinians who seek to realize justice for their people. And if, and, and if we happen to be Jewish, we would then be Jews working in solidarity to seek justice. And some of us who are Jewish, though not all of us who are Jewish, Jewish do this as well to assert a Jewishness allied with social justice rather than one associated or allied with racism and militarism, a Jewishness that only makes sense to some of us as part of such an alliance. Mm -hmm. So... It is important to clarify the importance of boycotts, divestments, and sanctions as political expression and to oppose the view that support for BDS constitutes or implies anti-Semitism. If boycotts are generally recognized as forms of political expression, as bona fide means to seek to affect social change, they are or they should be protected under legal provisions that safeguard freedom of speech. In the United States, they were recognized as constitutionally protected speech in 1982 in the midst of the civil rights movement that sought to dismantle segregation and entrenched forms of racism. Along with divestment strategies and sanctions, boycotts have served as key instruments in human rights struggles, in the defense of labor rights, and as part of social movements seeking to bring an end to racist regimes such as apartheid in South Africa or to human rights abuses in uh, the former Burma. It makes sense in countries such as Germany that a boycott against the state of Israel produces great anxiety, recalling, as it does for many, the centuries of anti-Semitic boycotts in that country. Progressive citizens will not want to have any association with the noxious history of German anti-Semitism. So let us hope that these same people are fighting the entry of Nazis into the Bundestag under the rubric of the AfD. It still remains obligatory to think in the midst of anxiety and the fear of association, especially if one is committed to an anti-racist politics, if one is committed not to stay silent in the face of injustice. The boycott does not target Jewish people. It does not target Israeli citizens. It targets Israeli institutions. The Jewish people and the state of Israel are not the same. The state of Israel does not, despite its claim, represent the Jewish people. 
It is imperative that any support for Palestine clearly repudiate anti-Semitism, but this repudiation must be linked with all forms of racism. It will not do to oppose state-based racism and not oppose anti-Semitism, but neither will it do to oppose only anti-Semitism and not state-based racism. The latter would include anti-Arab racism and Islamophobia. This is perhaps the one intersectional dimension of the analysis of this alliance and its commitments. One reason there is confusion about whether support for BDS implies anti-Semitism is that a new definition of anti-Semitism as anti-Zionism is gaining strength in the last years. According to that view, any strong critique of the state of Israel constitutes anti-Semitism even when there's no obvious evidence of anti-Semitic impetus or when no particular caricature or stereotype or negative racial figure is at work. Indeed, the point is not that somewhere lurking beneath the surface of all anti-Zionists is a strong current of anti-Semitic animus. That used to be the argument. Now, anti-Semitism is signaled. It's proven by the critique of Israel itself. It's no longer the charge leveled against the motivations of those with a stronger systematic critique of the state of Israel or Zionism more generally. It's not a psychological claim that we could test in some way. It's the very critique of the state or of Zionism that is taken to be the sure sign and substance of anti-Semitism itself. As a result, some political and conceptual confusions have emerged. Steve Bannon, who hosted Nazi discussion groups on the Breitbart platform, is forgivable by the Netanyahu regime because he is a self-proclaimed Zionist. Richard Spencer, an avowed white supremacist in the U.S., openly accepts a variety of anti-Semitic views. He calls himself a white Zionist. Spencer objects to how many Jews are in a position of power, how they run the financial world. And part of the reason he wants them to have a homeland in Israel is so that U.S. can be returned to the white Gentiles, its ostensibly rightful owners. His language is rife with anti-Semitism. To borrow a phrase from the Marxist tradition, we can call this actually existing anti-Semitism. <laughs> White supremacy is a form of power that we all must oppose. For a long time, the phrase was considered to be used only by those who occupied, occupied positions of radical and marginal, marginal positions on the left, those, those who tended to see, for instance, links between the U.S. prison system and the institution of slavery, or poverty and the subjugation of women of color. Liberals stopped listening when people, usually people of color, talked about white supremacy. It was considered exaggerated. Um, but indeed, what does it mean now to understand it as a systemic condition and a form of power um, uh, that has to become the context in which we analyze racist attitudes, remarks, or specific acts of discrimination? Um, I'm afraid much of the feminist movement also avoided handling the question of white supremacy as a systemic condition, thinking that implicitly or sometimes explicitly that race is a secondary issue. It, was a, it is a sad fact that only when self-proclaimed white supremacists emerge in public with their hateful invective and murderous aims does the phrase white supremacy enter into the mainstream discourse. 
So our task is to make sure that it does not simply name an aberrant group of people with racist views. It names an ongoing racist doctrine and practice, a systemic condition, as well as a contemporary political bid for power. Now that the erstwhile fringe right has assumed power within the central offices of the U.S. government, something that has been happening in the state of Israel for some time, it becomes all the more necessary to name and analyze what we know to be true. Since the emergence of Bannon and Sebastian Gorka, who openly wears a fascist emblem at the center of national power, since the acceptance of Breitbart as news, we can see a very specific form of anti-Semitic Zionism linking with white supremacy. As many critics have pointed out, it matters that Steve Bannon is a strong Zionist and that his anti-Semitism apparently does not get in the way of the support given to him by the Israeli state or even by the Zionist Organization of America. His supporters in the Israeli government don't seem to mind the anti-Semitism, even as various groups, the Anti-Defamation League, the Anne Frank Center, the Jewish Forward, the Southern Poverty Law Center, have all opposed him openly. His use of the word Jewish to imply financial monopoly, bratty behavior, claims to elite status and global media contexts, but also, of course, dreaded socialism and communism, give us a textbook case for how Jews are at once the figure of the ultra-capitalist and the ultra-communist. He opened up Breitbart to an explicitly anti-Semitic forum for which he has been openly applauded by white supremacists, explicit Nazis. One former Breitbart worker claimed that he turned the comments section into a cesspool for white supremacist meme makers. But what's the relation between his affinity for white supremacy and his anti-Semitism? How do we understand both in relation to his support for Zionism? I ask this question not because I think we need to understand this particular individual, but because he represents a nexus of racisms that is important to grasp for intersectional thinking and intersectional alliance. So now we see that anti-Semitism, including caricatures and conspiracy theories, has become compatible with Zionism, but only because anti-Semitism no longer describes that set of beliefs, but characterizes only the open critique of Israel. This conceptual scheme rules out the possibility of having a strong critique of Israel and an unequivocal opposition to to anti-Semitism. Indeed, Brett Stevens in the New York Times just recently accepts this view only in, in part. He objects to the anti-Semitic Zionist and to the Bannon figure, but he also then says, of course, any critique of Zionism is anti-Semitic, right? So he, 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 he wants to purify his Zionism of Bannon, but he wants to keep the idea that a strong critique of Zionism is ipso facto anti-Semitic. Sadly, it also means that one cannot oppose two injustices at the same time. One cannot oppose anti-Semitism and oppose the oppression of the people of Palestine. And yet we are obligated to have a complex account of racism and colonialism so that we can not only oppose both, but so we can oppose every form of racism, so that we can know the vicissitudes of racism and oppose it in its entirety and complexity. Amy Kaplan has written, is it possible to be anti-Semitic and pro-Israel at the same time? Your answer depends on how you define the terms. As Toni Morrison wrote, definitions belong to the definers, not the defined. 
If you define anti-Semitism solely as criticism of Israel, the answer is dangerously simple, and it can excuse the racism of a white nationalist on the grounds that he supports Israel. End of her quote. And that excuse is happening now all the time. The white nationalists line up for Israel, and that means that we, the critics, have to think through the meaning and limits of those analogies between white nationalism in the U.S. and state racism in Israel. Definitions do belong to the definers, not the defined. That is, until the defined rise up against the definition, exposing and exploding its terms, and from that wreckage piece together a new definition for themselves. In reporting on the gala last week of the Zionist Organization of America, the foreword framed the question this way. At issue was a defining question. Are American and Israeli Jews still embattled enough that when figures with anti-Semitic affiliations like Gorka and Bannon come along and profess Zionism, we should embrace them as allies in our fight for survival? Or should Jews reject these figures for refusing to repudiate anti-Semites? anti-Semitism, and should Jews likewise refuse to embrace an Israel that doesn't live up to its progressive standards? End of that question. Posing the problem this way entertains the possibility of embracing anti-Semitic Zionists for the purposes of survival, for Zionism is understood to secure the survival of the Jewish people. But anti-Semitism, on the other hand, is something that can be lived with. But if the reason why Zionism is understood to secure the survival of the Jewish people is because it offers a safe haven from an anti-Semitic world, then it is anti-Semitism that threatens Jewish life, just as anti-black racism threatens black life. Indeed, to the extent that Zionism is identified with a brutal occupation, an ongoing policy of dispossessing people and illegal land acquisition, a prison system where due process is systematically denied in the name of security and indefinite detention has become the norm, Zionism has become allied with or defined as the intensification of militarization and the extension of colonial control operating through a perpetual threat to life. That threat to life can be figured as always and only coming from the outside, the I want, they want to kill us idea. There we go. Careful what you're leaning on, yeah. Thank you. The threat to life can be figured as coming from across the wall or from across the border, but the threat to life has become the power of the state. It is what it produces and reproduces as the norm. Um, and if that is the world in which the threat to life is everywhere, that be, and that becomes the norm, then no one's survival is assured. If survival is the aim, um, and we might ask whether survival should be the aim or surviving with justice should be the aim, then amplifying the threat to life is no way to achieve that aim, not for Israelis, not for all the people who rightfully inhabit that land, not for all the people who have lost their rights rightfully to inhabit that land. Demilitarization and decolonization are the only possible paths. Is there a way to oppose this life of violence and realize justice? Is there a movement that is committed to nonviolent means and seeks to secure civil and political rights? 
uh, well, why not affirm solidarity with the struggle against the Palestinian people, uh, the struggle against the subjugation of the Palestinian people, the movement to end colonial rule, to enter a process that would find a way to realize a contemporary form of rightful return and to seek in concrete ways to realize political equality and freedom and the achievement of a just society. BDS is one such strategy. It is not a full political vision or plan. It allies with anti-colonial struggles, and it asks for alliance. Alliance and solidarity show what working, that working together to realize justice in common, what, what it might be. Alliance, if we are lucky, builds the community to come. 